In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. A story without a structure is incoherent. Uh, try listening to a story a five-year-old wants to tell you. Um, last week, Jim Beitler uh, showed us some of the structure of John's gospel that help us better understand John's central message to make it coherent to us that we might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that through believing we might have life in his name, resurrection life. And the book of John is structured, the Gospel of John is structured around the seven signs that are both signposts, uh, Jim, as Jim told us last week, that point us to Jesus and signs that illumine or reveal Jesus. And they, they, they tell us who this Jesus is and they reveal more and more of Jesus through John's story. John's gospel also has a very clear prologue and epilogue. Most of us are quite familiar with both. I just read in the gospel the, uh, the epilogue, uh, part of the epilogue anyway, on the beach, the scene on the beach with Jesus and the disciples. John's prologue, in the beginning was the word or logos, that's how it begins, and this prologue is quite philosophical and abstract. The Greek Logos presents Christ and Jewish understanding as the wisdom and creative energy of God. And in Greek thought, uh, order, reason, logic, or harmony. And this morning we look at the epilogue of John's Gospel, which unlike the prologue, is a fully expressed, exuberantly physical, almost playful, and comical, visceral, and deeply relational revelation of this abstract logos who was in the beginning with God. And the epilogue does what an epilogue should do in that it contains the final sign in John, which incorporates, it kind of wraps up all the other signs to fully reveal Jesus in his person and his purpose. And the final sign in John, this magnificent catch of fish, 153 of them, both the catching and the consumption of includes, it wraps up the other signs because it includes a miracle on the sea, a feeding of a hungry group, resurrection, and healing of deep emotional wounds. However, in its opening scene, this epilogue is not typical. A typical epilogue provides closure, ties up loose ends. The epilogue also functions to tell us about the consequences of the changes to the characters in the story. How have their lives changed and what are the consequences of their changes? Well, when we look at the opening scene here uh, at the beach and the breakfast, the catching of the fish, we, we don't see this, the, the tying up of loose ends. In fact, the disciples seem to be at loose ends. They don't know what to do, so they go back to what they know to do, fish. Simon Peter gathers the lads to fish, and they still don't know what to do. They catch no fish. <laughs> and if we ask what has changed, the story in the epilogue indicates not much. There is a wonderful irony here. Of course, everything has changed. Jesus has been <laughs> resurrected, but the disciples are not quite living into that resurrection because they haven't quite caught up to it. Jesus is way ahead of them. 
and he comes back to them to get them to where he is. And he does so with this final sign. As I was thinking about this fish sign here, it's kind of like a deja vu for the disciples. It, it starts to unfold as soon as this stranger on the shore yells out, have you caught any fish? <laughs> and Jesus seems to be having some fun with, uh, with them. It's almost like he's ribbing his disciples, you know? Uh, but he doesn't leave them in their futility. And try the right side, he yells out. And by now, the disciples are thinking, who, who is this guy to tell us how to fish? But they're also thinking, hey, hasn't this happened before? The experience of deja vu involves having a feeling that you're experiencing the same thing when in fact you're not. It's something new that you're experiencing. And the disciples have gone back to the same old thing, but with Jesus, who makes old things new, it's not the same old thing. It's the same new thing. It's the same, but it's profoundly different because Jesus is profoundly different. So Jesus is not performing the same fish miracle. He is the miracle of resurrection. And when the disciples haul in the fish, the disciple whom Jesus loved does not yell, look at the fish, he yells. It is the Lord. He recognizes him. What a moment of recognition. It is the Lord, the resurrected Lord. As the resurrected Lord reorients us to himself, he reorients our lives away from fish and all that they represent in our lives. It's not that he doesn't care about fish and fishing. I know some of you fly fish out there. You enjoy it. It's a wonderful thing. But there's something much, so much more to life than fish. And this something more begins to unfold when Jesus invites his disciples to breakfast, the first breakfast after the Last Supper. It is common knowledge that breakfast as your mothers have told you, is the most important meal of the day, although this is debatable. <laughs> but for these disciples, this breakfast was indeed the most important meal in their lives. The first breakfast is a counterpart to the Last Supper. The Last Supper left them abandoned, and the first breakfast reassures them that they are not abandoned, that the Last Supper in which Jesus spoke of the betrayal that led, led to his death opens to this first breakfast in which Jesus speaks of the love that triumphs over betrayal, and death. For not only Judas had betrayed Jesus, Peter had too. And resurrection means that Jesus has come back to the beach, the fish, the old life, the shame, the depression, the sorrow, the loss, the futility of the effort, toiling all night to catch nothing. And like the morning sun rolls back the darkness, Jesus comes in and he feeds them not just with fish, but with the life that provides more than fish. The material reality has unfolded and given way to a deeper reality. And this is the reality of love that compelled Jesus to die on the cross. And in John 13, we read that passage on Monday, Thursday, Jesus, it says that he loved his disciples to the end. And then beyond the cross, he loved them into life. Well, what's significant about this breakfast are many things, but it's not the eating or not just the eating. When you, when you say to someone, let's grab breakfast, you're, not, you're probably not thinking about um, looking forward to the eggs benedict or you know, the omelet. You're thinking about the person you're going to have breakfast with, the conversation you're going to have. We don't grab breakfast just to eat. We, eat. we eat to talk. And Peter and Jesus talk. What do they talk about? About love. Peter, do you love me? 
three times. Think about it. Shouldn't it be the other way around? Peter being reminded that Jesus loves him, especially after his three betrayals. I mentioned the deja vu of the fish catch, which brings us to this moment of deja vu. Jesus looking at Peter with love, reminding Peter of the last time Jesus looked at him, at the moment of Peter's failure to love. And Jesus helps Peter realize how much he really does love Jesus, more than he despises himself for betraying Jesus. There's a special name for this kind of deja vu. It's called redemption. For every failure to love, Jesus never fails to love us. And love is life. Food, fish is physical sustenance. Love is every other kind of sustenance. We don't forget to eat, but sometimes I think we forget to take in to ingest love. Like we sometimes forget to breathe. My daughter was with us recently, Chelsea. She lives in California, and she says, Dad, you're impossibly stiff. She said, Dad, you got to do some yin yoga. <laughs> so I said, show me a few of those stretches, and she did. And then she said, Dad, when you do it, don't forget to breathe. Well, I was doing it the next two days later, and Tammy looked at me, and she said, Rob, you're not breathing. <laughs> when your daughter and your wife gang up on you, oh, boy. Take long, deep breaths, the breath of life. Love is life's breath to our spirit. Peter feeds on the fish Jesus provides, and he feeds on the love Jesus gives. At communion, we do the same thing. At the ministration of communion, the celebrant says, Father James will say shortly, feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. And as Jesus loves us, he increases our capacity to love and with each increasingly exasperated insistence by Peter that he really does love Jesus, you know what Jesus does? He redirects Peter's love for him, for Jesus, to his sheep, Jesus' sheep. This is a proper use of the word pivot. Jesus pivots Peter, and Jesus is the fulcrum. The mark of love for Jesus is the way we love and care for other people. And the ultimate expression of that love is loving them to the end, even as Jesus did for his disciples. Tammy and I were listening uh, to an audio book on a drive to Pittsburgh. Goodness, we drove on Friday, drove back yesterday uh, for the bishop's uh, election. Um, and we were listening to the stories. It was a riveting story, but it was a bit rough. And the protagonist uh, was a poor ex-convict uh, ex uh, struggling to survive in Watts, Los Angeles. And one chapter midway through the book ended happily for the protagonist. And Tammy hit the pause button and said, I'm ending the story right there. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> the Gospels are not a fairy tale. You can't hit the pause button and say it's a happy ending right there. I'm going to end it. And Jesus and Peter lived happily ever after. At the very end of the scene between Peter and Jesus, Jesus says to Peter, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will bring you where you do not wish to go. Wow. You know, 50 days of Easter of, of Easter of resurrection love culminate in Pentecost, which is resurrection power. Unless we consume love and are filled with the power of love, we will be consumed always by the love of power. And Christ will never rise from the caverns of our hearts. Love fills us with life, and when it does that, it also prepares us to die. 
Alive in Christ's love means death to our sinful self, the grasping for power, the need to control. And this is the words of the Pascha Nostrum we say at this time in morning prayer. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. When we feed on Jesus' love, when his love is in us, we will love to the end as Jesus did. Love will take us where we don't want to go, but where the Lord leads, his love will always lead away for us. I'm pondering now on what that means for me. I hope you can ponder in your own hearts what that might mean for you, to follow Jesus to the way where he would lead you, even if it's difficult. His love goes with you. So during Eastertide, let's, let's have breakfast with Jesus many times. Let him tell us how much he loves us and where he wants us to go. Amen.